Hey everyone, this is Craig Horlbeck from the Ringer Fantasy Football Show. Join me, Danny Heifetz, and Danny Kelly every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to help you win your draft, win your league, and most importantly, avoid that last place punishment. Follow the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on Spotify. It's the Ringer's Philly Special presented by FanDuel. The playoff action is heating up. And with FanDuel, you can bet on everything from the NBA Finals MVP to who's going to lift the Stanley Cup. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the pulse and get paid instantly when you win. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Welcome to the Ringers, Philly special, Shield Kapati here, joined by Sean Syed from Sumer Sports. We got a big one, Eagles Niners. I would say maybe the game with the most juice on the entire schedule. I know we had a Super Bowl rematch. I know there's two games against the Cowboys that always have juice, but... Sean, this one, from like a fan perspective, I feel like coming off that NFC Championship game, coming off the offseason where the Niners are telling, oh, we didn't get a fair chance. And now it's it's the top two teams in the NFC, I think. You can throw the Cowboys in there if you want. Niners favorites in this game on the road against the 10-1 and Eagles team. Uh, we'll review the Eagles-Bills film, but then, Sean, we got to get to this Niners matchup because that's all anyone's talking about in Philadelphia right now. Sheila, it's a great one, and I love all the like press conferences. It feels like the kind of Don Draper, John Hamm, I don't think about you at all from the Eagles side. That's what mm-hmm. it feels like. You know, I'm obviously, I try to be a third-party observer. Uh, as a preview, I do think the Niners are going to beat the Eagles, but I'm super excited to to talk about that. <laughs> talk about oh my uh, gosh the top rope in the first 30 seconds everybody (laughs) loves it now you're working all right you were like all right i'm not comfortable with everybody liking me this much i'm gonna go in the opposite direction just wait yeah just you wait (laughs) listen i was hearing about it last week i just picked the bills to cover and i was still getting ripped by people you know that you know why you didn't pick the eagles uh to cover that game and uh it ended up being uh a push there but uh yeah no it's 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 gonna be a good one i think you're 
probably right. All, yeah, it's definitely been more Niners than Eagles, but now you get to the week, and I'm sure Nick Sirianni's pulling, you know, every, using every trick in the book uh, to get his team motivated and show them what the Niners have been saying. The weirdest thing, and again, we'll get to the film. The Debo Bradbury thing is like the weirdest thing because that, like, I've only interviewed Bradbury a handful of times. This is like the most like mild mannered. And you can even see it the way he plays. Like, I don't remember him getting in, like, mixing it up with anybody uh, in two years here. So it's so it's weird to me that he would be uh, the guy you pick on. But it's going to be fun. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to review that Eagles-Bills game because that was a classic. I mean, we're pumped on about this Niners game. That Eagles-Bills game was an overtime thriller. We're going to spend, you know, maybe half the show, maybe a little bit less than that reviewing that film, everything with kind of an eye towards the future. And then, Sean, as I told you, you are like the the Shanahan whisperer, you know, the Shanahan expert. I don't know. I mean, who has written more in depth about Kyle Shanahan than you? And so I wanted to pick your brain about what this version of Shanahan's offense is like, what the Eagles can do to stop them. I love a little blueprint talk. You listen, young writers out there, if you got to get blueprint in the headline, I mean, who doesn't want to read blueprint? Like, of course you're going to click on that. So we're going to get a little blueprint, talk about what the Eagles can do both offensive defensively in this matchup. All right, let's get to it. Sean Eagles offense. Let's start with that very weird game against the bills. First seven drives. Everyone's ready to, uh, you know, fire Brian Johnson, you know, just say, Hey, go take that Panthers head coaching job right now. They have one touchdown. Uh, they can't move the football. They look lost. They've got two turnovers. Last six drives, four touchdowns and a field goal. You look up at the end of the game. The team has 37 points. Like I was, I was laughing yesterday because Brian Johnson is getting questions at his press conference about like all the criticism he's he's fielding. He must be like, we scored 37 points. Like it's not easy to score 37 points in an NFL game. So that's not to say it was perfect uh, in terms of success rate. The Eagles were right on their league average in this game. They were sixth among all teams in week 12 in offensive success rate. Just for a little context, a little perspective um, in teams of e- in terms of EPA per drive, they were below their league average, but they were top 10 for teams in week 12. 378 yards, 24 first downs. All right, let's start. Let's get the bat out of the way. First year, Sean, first seven possessions. Eagles have one touchdown. They have two turnovers. They looked bad. What were you seeing uh, during that stretch of the game? You know, the first seven possessions, it was the first half and then the first possession of the third quarter where it looked so bad. What was standing out on film to you? To me, it did feel like the Buffalo Bills came in prepared with a good plan. They had a lot of those two high defenses, whether cover two, cover four, some combo coverages where it felt like a player is pressing up on A.J. Brown. They're denying him while still playing zone in kind of other areas of the defense. I thought they did a good job kind of like mush rushing. So they're not just, you know, hair on fire. We're going to rush right up the field. We're going to give you an open lane. I thought the Bills did a good job early on of, you know, you're kind of rushing a little bit. You're preparing for Hurts to break the pocket. You're really just kind of compressing that space. And of course, the Eagles, you know, you lose Lane Johnson earlier in that day. I thought that at the right tackle spot, the Eagles, they struggled a little bit on the first drive, uh, maybe a little bit on that second drive. They cleaned things up, certainly as things went on. But really, you know, the big thing is those two turnovers, which like we talked kind of early in the year about 
is Hurts bailing from the pocket. And then to me, it felt like that got solved. And then there's the red zone issues. And to me, I think that also kind of just solved itself a little bit. And now you have the turnovers where you think it's not going to happen week after week. But the same way I always say, or I have said that Jalen Hurts throws just like a super catchable ball. And that led to that crazy interception for the Bucks and the Rams. Now he has like catchable passes when they doink off someone else between the Jets, between this game, between the Dolphins and <laughs> I, I like to think those are bad luck. And I understand, you know, people are frustrated with Brian Johnson in different ways. It is important to think of, well, who is actually responsible for that opening script? I'm sure that's multiple people. So I wouldn't just say, okay, it's 100% Brian Johnson. This is to blame. But you know, I'm, I'm working through this theory. So in baseball, right, everyone's comfortable. If you hit one out of three, you're great. In football, the best offensive success rates are at like 50%. The best third down percentages or 50%. We do, at Simmer, we do a number like drive quality, pretty much how many times you're able to get into field goal range. If you're at 50%, you're in the top 10. So 50% is really, really great in the NFL. You just never see it super split where, hey, we're going to do nothing in the first half other than obviously that touchdown drive. And we're just going to kind of blow it out in the second half. So Sheila, is that theory? Like, are we okay with that? Where you kind of just have to live with 50% of the time, your offense is going to look bad. That's an F on a test, but that's an A plus in football. Yeah, that's why I like the league-wide context because you're right. I mean, I'm not if you're if you're like watching the Eagles and you're watching those first seven possessions and you're frustrated and you think they look terrible and you're tired of people like me pointing up the numbers. I get it. the the viewing it's the viewing experience has been kind of like that uh, this year. There's absolutely been stretches where you say this doesn't look right. I don't care what the numbers say, and you're right about that. I mean, it sh- that shows up on film. Also, that's not just like the lot. You're not wrong, um, but that's why I, I do like using data. In in the analysis, because the bigger the sample, the better. And we talked about it in the postgame pod with Solak. There's like an inevitability about this Eagles offense where it just feels like eventually they're going to figure it out. Now, listen, there could be games where it's too late and you go, all right, Sheila, you told me they're going to figure it out. They figured it out midway through the third quarter and they lost like that absolutely uh, matters. But it, man, if you look at it overall here on the season, they're fourth in success rate, they're fifth in EPA per drive. They're averaging 28.4 points per game. Uh, Oh, I'm sorry. They're averaging 27.4 points per game. Last year with Jalen Hurts, they averaged 28.4 points per game. One point fewer than last year. So again, it it doesn't look the same. I agree with that. It's not as efficient. The numbers would back that up. League-wide, is it still pretty good? You know, the answer is yes overall when you zoom out. So that slow start, you know, I thought one thing that was interesting uh, here, Sean, was that the two turnovers both came on RPOs. You know, one was the the one you showed to us uh, last week where Eagles come out of the bye and they steal that RPO from the Dolphins where you run a slant, uh, you run a flat, and you run a wheel. And so, you know, Tua has just been making a killing on that RPO. It's, it's their go-to play. It's been their go-to play. And so Eagles install that. Well, that ends up being a battered pass for Jalen Hurts. That ends up being an interception. Other one was also an RPO where Jalen Hurts, I think Jordan Poyer it was, is blitzing. And first he's giving, then he's coming back to pass, then he's going to give again to Gainwell. I didn't think that was on Gainwell. Like, listen, once the guy, you feel like he pulls the ball, you don't feel like you're going to get it there. Um, and so you you move on to what your assignment is. That turns into a fumble. Also, first possession of the third quarter, sack. 
RPO. Jalen Hurts doesn't pull the trigger on a slant. And so I thought that was kind of interesting because, and we'll get to what went right in the second half. You know what went right in the second half? Those RPOs were hitting left and right for big plays. So it's not like RPOs are bad. RPOs are good. I like them. But uh, what did you kind of make of that? That they had some pretty key high leverage negative plays that all came on RPOs before eventually those got cleaned up. And, you know, they're, they're kind of gashing the bills with the RPO game. Yeah, that was or those three really were examples to me where those are more execution based than design based. We'll take them one by one. But for me, that says, OK, our blame shouldn't directly go to uh, Brian Johnson. A little bit is, you know, Hertz didn't perform the best on those three plays. Again, cleans it up later. Yeah. And that makes a lot better on that first one. Yeah, exactly. As you said, that Dolphins RPO, they ran it earlier in the game, too. And, you know, Hertz hit Devontae Smith on that easy completion it's it's such a it's kind of a weird play. Uh, Kyle Shanahan talked, our good friend Kyle Shanahan, right, talked about Mike McDaniel because they're trying to figure out well what are the reads for Tua on that play, and McDaniel kind of says like he's reading nothing. Like you're just kind of feeling out space. So as a team, like when you're taking that from another team, like like what is the read there? It is so much of a feel thing, and like a linebacker like hangs in the window maybe just a little bit uh and like the defensive end like looks like they're kind of committing to the running back so it just becomes like a little bit too muddy for Hertz. and like how many times are we going to throw it to a defensive end it just ends up in the defense's hands so like i don't think that's the best execution for Hertz. i would of course love to just you know you continue through you get to Devonte on that play i do think your process is sped up just a touch because you don't want to fall into any illegal man downfield or things like that so to me you know that one's execution based on this, which I know, Sheila, I know you love talking about execution, but I'm just trying to give Brian Johnson a little bit of a break. I think you know? that's fair. And listen, listen, I will call you out when you say it's execution based and I'll say, no, no, the coach's job is to get the players to execute. I, I actually think it's fair uh, for the examples you're giving here. Yeah. And on that one, like they ran it earlier in the day. It was really good. They ran it last week. It was really good. They're going to run it again in the future. It's going to be really good. So I'm confident in that play on the that fumble. I do think it yeah, hurts is probably a touch late on that and i also don't blame gainwell because there's a guy running straight at you so it's tough because number wise it feels good to hand the ball off to me that's a little bit of a you know the bills did a nice job just changing up that look getting a free runner where even if they don't have the best just numbers wise on the defensive line and linebackers against what's happening in the run game you know they feel confident because they have a linebacker running free so you know, in the ideal situation, hopefully, you know, you're deciding to throw to Devontae kind of quick in the slot there. Worst, worst, worst case, you just dirt it there. So to me, you know, that's not necessarily a design thing, like advantage throws in general, where this may be not exactly an advantage throw, but things where you are attaching things to regular run concepts is a core, core part of this offense that we'll talk about later. Yeah. And that leads to a touchdown. And yeah, that last one in the, I think it was, was the first play of the third quarter where Hertz ends up getting sacked yeah right coming out of halftime and like there's a linebacker that scrapes over a bit to that throw side so maybe you could say you know the linebacker he's in his vision a little bit but I mean I think if you ask Hertz he would surely want that throw to AJ Brown who's breaking open and even when I was trying I was almost like coming up with what would the most logical you know kind of positive thing for Hertz there be like the safety isn't even really coming down in any sort of way there it did feel like he was kind of off rhythm a little bit where he after he fakes the handoff his vision kind of like came back to the center for a second I'm not sure if it was you know just like a mishandling of the ball a little bit or something like that so that one to me wasn't necessarily something the defense was doing but an example of a play that it was wide open so it was not a play design thing specifically so just 
it stinks that you have those three, but <laughs> thankfully you have the second half after that one where things got cleaned up and end up in points. Yeah, I, I think it's fair. Listen, we we have been very complimentary of Jalen Hurts on this podcast for much of the season, and I, I'm with you. I think if you know you uh, were in the film room with him or gave him truth serum, that he would probably say he didn't do a great job with those reads. And listen, there has been times this year where that's been the case, so that is something to keep an eye on. Where some of these negative plays, and I'm not saying it's easy, it, it's hard. Like that's why some you know I, I've heard I don't know, players or coaches say like sometimes you just want to like run the ball and not do an RPO just to give the quarterback a breather, right? Just like mentally, physically, just let them, all right, I'm handing it off. Give me like a minute here to kind of reset, uh, steady them a little bit. Um, not to, you know, I, again, I'm in favor. I like the options. I like not running into bad looks, but once in a while you do that. We actually saw the Eagles do that in the uh, on the next possession where they just, it's a straight handoff to DeAndre Swift and he goes for 36 yards. There was no option there. I was just, all right, let, let's give him a straight handoff. Let's make sure we run the ball here. So um, I, I think that's fair analysis. I, I didn't think those, you know, and the first one, it's worth pointing out. Eagles hadn't run that the first, what, 10 weeks of the season, right? The Dolphins RPO, we just saw that for the first time after the bye. So that's not one, that's not like a core concept that they've been working on since training camp. That's one that, you know, theoretically they installed at some point here in the last month and started using it. So I think those are some of the reasons for the slow uh, start there. Some other things that stood out to me, uh, I thought the offensive line was a little shaky early on in the first half. You mentioned Driscoll uh, for sure. Uh, there was, you know, at, at least one stunt, maybe a couple stunts that they had issues with. Uh, you know, they tried to run that uh, bash scheme where the blocking is going away from Jalen Hurts and he can keep the ball uh, and run to the right and Landon Dickerson just whiffs on his block. Also, you know, a nice play by Leonard Floyd, but you don't get the edge defender there and he comes up with a negative play. Uh, I did not like the screen to Julio Jones on third and 14. If, if you're listening and say, give us some criticism of the play calling shield. Uh, yeah, I don't like that call. I don't know what the upside there is with the screen to Julio Jones on third and 14 uh, in that spot. So I think those uh, those were some of the other issues there. I was looking at it overall, Sean, in terms of like, is the opening script an issue? Um, and the numbers would say overall, not really. You know, they've averaged 3.6. Uh, they averaged 3.6 points per drive on the first possession last year. It's 3.4 this year. EPA per drive success rate is actually better on the first possession this year than it was last year. Now, when they miss, they miss pretty badly because their three and out percentage is really high, uh, a lot higher than it was last year. I think last year they barely went three and out at all on that first possession. So that probably explains uh, the narrative a little bit, but overall they've been okay. Now in the first half, if you're saying, Shield, what about the slow starts? That's absolutely true. I mean, they're averaging uh, about five fewer points in the first half than they did last year. So they've been much more of a second half team this year uh, than they were last year. Last year, they were really, you know, that we, we remember those second quarters, they were blowing teams out and then they were sitting people in the fourth quarter. Well, that's not how it's gone this year. They've struggled a little more in the first half and then figured it out in the second half. All right. So what did they figure out in this game, Sean? Uh, some things that I wrote down, I wrote down a combination of a few things. One, uh, there were some great calls. Now, it's always a great call when it works. It would be the same thing. It doesn't work. And we're saying it was a terrible call. But some of the, let's start with that. Some of the RPOs we saw, they had a third and two, really nice RPO to Jack Stoll for 14 yards. They had the old pick and roll uh, RPO 
to A.J. Brown, where A.J. Brown's going in the end zone, percent, pretending he's kind of setting a pick, creating some traffic. No, no, he's not doing that. He then rolls to the right. Uh, he's wide open for a touchdown. I thought that was a nice design. The design on the Devontae Smith touchdown. Uh, so I didn't like the Julio screen. I don't like all the screens. I'm with all of you who are throwing things in your living rooms when they're running all these perimeter screens that are going nowhere. That was a, a you know, a, a fake screen. And then Devontae Smith gets wide open for the touchdown. So if you want to be nice, you give him credit. Hey, you set it up with those garbanzo bean screens. And then all of a sudden it leads to a touchdown to Devontae Smith because the defense has to be ready for it. Uh, what did you think of some of those calls? Um, and, and did you think that kind of stood out to you in the second half? It, it really stood out to me. I think that first one from Stoll on that third down conversion, when the Eagles get into that two running back kind of split back pony look, my mind goes to one of those running backs is usually the horizontal stretch element. When you think of kind of at a high level, they of course ran that against the Jets on a third down. I think it was on their first drive of the game. And what I love about this one is you can see the Bills linebackers flow with both running backs and one is not going to the flat. And now that outside defender has to really chase Stoll across and work through so much traffic so to me that was a really good example of this is a base concept like something that is core to the Eagles offense that is not particularly complicated but dressing it up earlier in the season and now adding another wrinkle onto that so now we're just adding like all the spices all the flavors together so that was a really good combination and I mean the pick and roll touchdown one that one's that one is is so so awesome they I think what they ended up doing they ran something like pretty similar on the pick six against the Dolphins it doesn't like play out as smoothly as the one last year against Dallas it's just like what are you supposed to do from the defense because the quarterback can run that's after the obviously having to take care of the handoff threat the tight end on the slide route and then you got AJ Brown you know picking and rolling I love the pick and roll name there it's just too many options you you can't you can't stop all those things and that was like Sheila how many times do I just like kind of clamor for good RPOs and now I think that you know, I've been I've been satiated. I'm satisfied with the quality of RPOs <laughs> in the Eagles offense. And I'm glad that they, they stuck with those and were able to use those where in the first half, it was pretty clear that this was not exactly working for them. And I like that you mentioned that Devontae uh, Smith touchdown because, yeah, we don't love those bubbles. And, I, you know, I'm not even sure if you have to throw that many bubbles for a bubble and go to really, really work. But like I right. said, advantage throws, they're such a core part of the Eagles offense. It's smart, and I, I guess I don't really think about it too much because it just feels like so automatic for the Eagles. But being able to use something that's like an attachment to your run game now as a threat and a counter in the pass game is great. And Devontae Smith did a really good job on that because he can take that vertical. He can break inside depending on where the safeties are. And when those safeties split, he did a good job kind of getting inside and just thinking ahead. Like the Bengals ran this a bunch against San Francisco. So I think you know it's going to be something that we expect to see going forward and it was it was a much nicer uh second half for the eagles offense for sure i thought overall like they just it felt like they were just running left more confidently which it might be something as simple yeah yeah, as simple as Malata is just a mauler we don't have lane johnson you know it's nothing against driscoll at all but yeah run to your stronger side and i was really impressed with i thought cam jurgens on like cutting off from the backside of runs looked so so good because there were sometimes I was watching the film and I was like oh look at Kelsey getting the second level and it's like no that is actually very clearly Cam Jurgen. so that was I mean I thought real compliment to him and just like eyes wide open just smiles for the future for the Eagles off up front 
Yeah, I thought I thought Jurgens looked much better in this game than he did the previous game. It was like, all right, he probably, did, you know, I'm sure it takes time. Like, I can't even imagine just, you know, you're getting injured, you get a few practices, and then you go up, all right, go out there uh, and block this guy who's ready to eat your lunch. So I probably should have given him more. Ba- I, I wasn't mean to him last week, Sean, but I was like, let's settle down. He didn't come back at full strength in this game. I thought he was terrific. I thought, I mean... Really, you could pick out five plays from Kelsey every game and just be like, holy cow, can any other center in the NFL do that? That was definitely the case um, in this game. And DeAndre Swift, once again, you know, they're in a rut. They need a big play. And DeAndre Swift reels off a a 36-yard run to really add some juice to the offense, get you back in the game. Also, one I had forgotten, that 16-yard cutback run on the game-winning drive in overtime. I mean, that really gets them down there to, what, the 12-yard line. That was a huge play. And so continue to be so impressed uh, with DeAndre Swift. I was just like, he's top five in pretty much any you know category for a running back this year. Uh, rushing yards, yards from scrimmage, yards per carry, success rate. I don't have you know, all the specifics in front of me, but I was looking him up earlier this week. So he's having uh, a terrific season. And then got to credit Jalen Hurts for just a few things. I mean, one is just that like that 29 yard touchdown to Olamide Zacchaeus. I mean, there's nothing there. He just buys time. It's not an easy throw. Uh, and he just puts it out there where Zacchaeus can at least has a chance to make a play and credit to Zacchaeus for making a play that that I think was third down, I believe in the red zone. So that, I mean, that's a huge play at that point in the game. So he makes that play. Uh, and then, you know, you just notice it like that last drive and regulate regulation. Like it starts out with five straight completions. I mean, uh, for anyone watching like that chargers Ravens game on, you know, Sunday night, it's like, don't take for granted that the quarterback's out there just calmly five straight completions, getting you into a spot uh, where you can eventually kick a field goal. And then in overtime, nine plays, 75 yard, you get one shot at it really to put the game away there. And you put together a nine play 75 yard drive where he's using both uh, his arm and his leg. So certainly Jalen Hurts deserves a lot of credit there as well. All right. I think those are most of the things I have here, Sean. We should probably uh, move on a little bit to the defense here. Is there anything else you wanted to get off your chest uh, about this offense before we move on? I just think the Eagles offense and really Jalen Hurts is like testing me as like a, a watcher of the games because I want to stay away from being like, you know, like he just has it. But it's so hard to deny it. Like, I don't know how to quantify it. I watch the film every week. You give me the numbers. We talk about it. It just feels like, like, like there is just this like special level of calm with him and obviously things that are kind of intangible that, you know, maybe you don't always want to chase that in a player, but Hertz is so special. And I just love that the Eagles, it feels like, you know, of course you want to, you don't want to wait till halftime for adjustments, but it feels like at halftime, there is some sort of communication, whether it's the offensive line and the run game. It feels like when they come out at halftime, some of that kind of running stuff just gets cleaned up, whether it's maybe better calls or calls they're a little bit more comfortable with. So I mean, just just hats off for the second half. First half needs improvement. Looking forward to. I mean, they they <laughs> had that opening drive touchdown against the, the Jets and the Rams. Like they they obviously can do it. So it'll be fun going forward. Yeah, first half numbers are bad, but if we're gonna crush them for the slow starts, we do have to. And I know players and coaches often say like halftime adjustments are overrated. We're always looking at the stuff on the sideline, and you know I, I trust them. I don't think they're lying about that. But second half this year, Eagles are second in EPA per drive and averaging. Uh, I think a league best 15 and a half points per game after halftime this year. So uh, you can kill them for the slow starts, but you should also probably then you need to give them credit for the adjustments because they're, they're not held down for fourth quarters. They're figuring it out eventually. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll come back. Let's talk about the defense. 
Cash in on balling out this NBA season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. Maybe you take the Sixers Friday night at Boston, or maybe you play it safe and take the Sixers next week at Washington. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to join. The app is easy to use and there's a wide range of ways to bet, including quick bets, live same game parlays, the parlay hub, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash Ringer Philly and turn dimes into dollars this season. FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. First online real money wager only. $5 $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager. Only $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. All right, we are back on the Ringers. Philly special. All right, defensive performance. They give up 505 yards. That's not good. Uh, now, it was 13 possessions. I, I will say that. Uh, 13 possessions. For the Bills, it was their fourth best offensive game of the season. Um, and so, uh, in terms of EPA per drive, now it was the, the Bills' third worst offensive game of the season in terms of success rate because the Eagles' run defense for most of the game, not all of the game, for most of the game was pretty good. Uh, in our shared document, Sean, you made the you, you made the key point. You're like, you know what? Their defense was really good on first and second downs. And, you know, me being the nerd that I am, I'm like, well, let me look and see if that's uh, actually true or not. Uh, it was true. That was the Bills' second worst game of the season success rate on early downs. It was their best game on third downs in terms of EPA per play. We were joking. Uh, 22 third downs the Bills had. I looked it up. Last 10 years, tied for most third downs in a game 22. Oh my God, that film never ended, Sean. I had to have a little espresso late. I don't like to have it too late in the day, you know, and it keeps me up at night. I had to, to get through that film uh, yesterday. All right. So let's, let's talk about this. What didn't work great for the Eagles defense? When you look at it and you say, how does the team give up 505 yards? Uh, what did you say? What were some of the key factors? I thought it was really, really a Josh Allen, like fully nuclear, absolutely going to like lay <laughs> flames to the field game because I think you're right. And you told me the numbers to have, and I think we both agree on the film where they were able to stop the run on those early downs for really everything except for one drive. And I thought it was a, it was really good schematically what they were doing on a lot of those third downs, because again, from Desai, we see so many different coverages, whether it's, you know, it's, it's zone coverage that looks like, man, there was a lot of cover too that ended up paying off. In the end, even if Allen was throwing into really, really tight windows uh, and just making like superhero throws against cover two. So to me, the game plan overall, it worked on early downs and then third down, you know, whatever you want to say about execution. Like, I don't think that there is a way to stop some of those Josh Allen throws. And again, even when they're letting up all those yards, my concern is, OK, are they sitting in one thing over and over again? Are they too proud to double digs? Are they, you know, putting players in bad positions? And I think to my eyes that answer to all that is clearly no like they are doing a good job in they had for example like Slay and Black Bradbury on the same side where Diggs and Davis are at one point it's not just linebackers being put like in spots where they're going to end up just kind of in tough tough situations so you hope going forward you don't see another Josh Allen you're probably not going to see it based on the quarterbacks on the schedule obviously Dak Prescott is just a different kind of type of player so it's funny for the Eagles, you think if you're on the opposite side, you know, you don't want to get 
Like if they're leading in the first quarter, like they they're going to have trouble in the second half because they just play so well from behind. And then third and like six to eight is the range when they do super poorly, where that's exactly where you want to get offenses into. So from a plan perspective, I was I was happy with it. From like a Josh Allen is better than everyone on the field today. I think you live with it. You force that that turnover in the clutch. You get one miscommunication. You escape the rain with a win. Yeah, I generally hate when like a coach or player is like, those guys get paid too. It's like, yeah, well, every I mean, everybody gets paid. Like, of course, everybody in the NFL is very good. We understand that. But, you know, that's still, I'm not going to let you use it when I was a beat writer. I'm not going to let you use that every week. Those guys get paid too. Like, you're getting paid, coach. What are you getting paid for? You get paid, you know, $6 million a year to figure out these, these problems. So, uh Honest, but it was that kind of game. I mean, Josh Allen, really one of the best games I've seen by a quarterback all season long. The scrambles, the creation mode. I mean, when he's in the open field, like you got safeties, linebackers, they just have no chance. There's no body type. There's no mix of like, you know, big enough and fast enough and good enough to bring him down. Like, cause I remember one play, Hassan Reddick can't get to him. Another played Reed Blankenship. Nope. Zach Cunningham. Uh-uh. Gonna run through that. It's like every level of the defense guys had opportunities and they couldn't bring him down. That's why he is, you know, in my opinion, a top three quarterback in the NFL. Now I will say this in terms of theme, I know you said, Hey, Dak Prescott's a different quarterback. And that's true. We were talking about though, after that Cowboys game, how Dak was like, making plays in that game. You know, yes, he operates from the pocket, but he was also creating in that game and scrambling uh, and making plays outside the pocket. And so that's something to keep an eye on. Like, it's not, I don't want to say the Eagles are bad at that because it's like, most teams are going to just have, like every defense I've covered in my life. And they're like, yeah, that's really hard. I remember Connor Barwin back in the day. He's like, I prefer like facing Manning or Brady uh, as opposed to whoever the mobile quarterback. And I'm like, what Manning or Brady? And he's like, it, listen, it's, I'm not saying we're going to stop them, but it's just like easier from a defensive player's perspective when they know what to expect and what kind of quarterback they're getting. When you add this second element to it, where it's like what happens after the first half of the play ends and the second half of the play begins, it's really hard on defensive players. I do think it's something to watch because I think we had the discussion about how Eagles defensive backs are used to covering for a certain amount of time. And then the pass rush, most of the time is getting home and the play is ending. Well, there are exceptions to that. Dak Prescott, uh, Josh Allen, some other guys you might face down the road. So that's something uh, to keep an eye on. I also thought, you know, Slay and Bradbury definitely had some bad reps in this game. There were a couple issues with bunches and picks in this game. So those continue uh, to be a theme. So I think you add all that up and that adds, you know, that that leads to a 505 yard performance. And again, 92 plays it was. So, you know, it's not, they didn't get 505 on 50 plays. That would have been really bad. At least you made them take 92 plays. Uh, a couple individual plays I wanted to talk about, Sean. First of all, the James Bradbury interception. This was probably one of the most fun defensive plays to watch on film, for me at least, from an Eagles perspective, all season long. Uh, give us a little bit. That was a key moment in the game. You hadn't stopped Allen all game long, uh, really for the most part, and you get a key t- takeaway that leads to a score. Uh, break that down. What did you see on that play? How was James Bradbury able to come up with the takeaway? Yeah, this one got me like straight just jumping out of my couch. This one was awesome because the Bills love to get into empty and they'll put Stephon Diggs in the slot on the weak side. So to that two receiver side and the Eagles love to do that with Devontae Smith where the nickel for the defense is going to go away from that side. And a lot of times you can end up working your best receiver on a linebacker or you get really, really clear tells on what the defensive coverage is. 
And when you go back and watch that play, if you see it from the high view, you can see Bradbury like literally pointing to Blankenship and he draws out. You can see him pointed out three times where the outside route is going to be a vertical and you're going to get an outbreaker from the inside. And that's not just him guessing. The Bills ran that three or four times earlier in the game where there was a snap where Slay and Bradbury are on the same side against Diggs and uh, Davis. There's a snap where I think Cunningham looks like he's over Dave or Diggs for a second and bumps out. So it's just like a beautiful combination of coaching. Like they clearly study this on tape. It is a calculated risk. I don't think it's a situation where it's like a player going rogue by any chance. If you were saying, oh, he was being really risky, I could hear that, but he's seen this play four times in this game. This is like a clear tendency and something the Bills want to get to. So just all the things put together. And then even after the snap, he kind of like fakes like he's pressing, makes it maybe look a little bit more like man coverage before he just attacks Diggs. And when you, I love doing this where I think like taking a screenshot of film overall is not just, it's just like not the best idea in terms of giving context. But when he breaks, like he breaks before Allen is really even kind of winding his arm up. So he gets there really early and maybe it's there to the field side. So it's, or the, the boundary side. So it's just a little bit of a shorter distance in terms of if he, like you, maybe you trust Blankenship to go get it. But at a time when, yeah, like that is a drive that could have kind of like iced the game away in a lot of different ways. And for him to come up with a play like that was, it it got me jumping out of my couch and, and my wife decided not to watch uh, the rest of the game downstairs, but it was, it it was a lot of fun. (laughs) But the mechanics, I know you said he was pointing to Blankenship beforehand. Like that's a situation. Is that a situation where the corner kind of has to communicate something to the safety there about like, you know, I'm going to take a shot on this because Gabe Davis is running that vertical down the sideline where if Allen is able to, pre- and it, it's not like on Al- Allen, it's a tough spot, but if he's able to process, okay, Bradbury is jumping this, like he's got a probably a 15 to 20 yard play, right? A pretty easy throw where we're going, how would, you know, we're probably going, how was Gabe Davis that wide open? Romo was probably pointing out, ah, well, you know, Bradbury got a little greedy here uh, and got aggressive here. So what just, and, and, and again, we don't know the exact details here because you know, I, I don't think Bradbury has explained that on the record as we record. But generally speaking, would a corner have to give some type of heads up to the safety there that, hey, like I might do this. So, you know, the vertical is going to be on you if the quarterback ends go ends up going that way. Yeah, like that route combination is kind of specifically created to beat cover two for that reason, because you're going to run that inside route going or inside receiver going to the outside to kind of draw that cornerback in. To me, you know, Bradbury is playing his alignment. He's playing his assignment and he's keying that second receiver where if that second receiver comes out, he goes to get that. So does he do it maybe like a touch earlier? Yes, but at the same time, he's not going to sit back and kind of hang on that vertical for that for like that much longer where even earlier in the game, they ran obviously a different concept, but Bradbury does kind of like uh, hesitate for a second looking for another route and Allen throws it by him. So in in those situations, I'm fine with that. Again, I think it's like, it's a calculated risk. It's not just saying, hey, like I'm going to go chase after this. And as you said, yeah, if they hit that outside throw, does that become on the cornerback? Yeah, a little bit, but I think it's, it's like, it's it's a good risk to take. Decide and their defense, like they are, a, we're going to fight back a little bit defense. We're not just going to let you kind of keep on doing this. I do think you would see a lot of defenses where they would have that cornerback. And I, I, I think back and forth on it, like, um, maybe Desai said specifically to do this. I think it's a little bit more of Bradbury, like him taking what his assignment is and like and just charging it up just a little bit. So I don't know how you'd warn the safety. I think he tells him like, "Hey, this guy's gonna go vertical." Like you can see him point with his hands to the receiver, like he's gonna go vertical, get over here quicker. So I think that Bradbury tells him, 
And then th- thankfully yeah. he goes ahead and gets makes that interception. That's so cool. Yeah, such a cool play. I might both to you know post the clip uh after this because yeah, it's um it, it's 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 cool because that's one of those where that pro- that begins early in the week. You know, what do they like to do in empty when they line up digs at this spot in empty? What do they go to earlier in the game? Like you said, they they completed passes on this exact concept, and then in that spot, you know, and it was and they didn't start in empty. I think right. I think they had a back in the backfield initially on that play, um, and then they go to empty, and then Bradbury signaling to Blankenship, and then he has to get there in time and make the play. By the way, they had given up multiple explosive plays in that window between the corner. And the safety, you know, when they're playing cover two early in the game, like that was an issue for them. And you're, you're like, all right, it's a calculated risk. It's baked into the game plan. Part of coaching is trusting your players. Bradbury, one of the smartest, you know, Eagles defensive backs they've had, um, you know, in, probably in the last decade, like we've seen him make plays like this. So that was a cool one. Uh, all right. And then the last one I just wanted to ask you about third down blitz call. In overtime, I mean, this one on film, Josh Allen is jumping up and down before the ball hits the ground. He can't believe it. Uh, Eagles go zero blitz. Gabe Davis gets smashed up against Darius Slay, has him beat. Davis breaks outside. Allen throws it inside. Incomplete. If that hits, we're probably leading this pod with <laughs> to decide get too aggressive in a big spot there because the Eagles will win. But it goes incomplete. Again, these are the risk-reward calculations you make as a coach, as a player, as everything. Uh, what did you think on that play? Yeah, this one was like a specific great example of we really don't know fully unless you're in that room. Obviously, the Bills, they checked a, a good protection against cover zero. Allen has a decent amount of time. Davis is on an option route. He can... Certainly break out, as you saw. He can certainly break vertical, as you saw Allen throw to. Maybe he can break inside as well. What I like from the Eagles, I I guess I rarely see the defensive backs like passing off routes. And so on this example, they do that, and Allen has that decision made before Davis even clears Slay. I think that Davis is thinking, okay, I have Slay low and inside of me. I need to break away from that leverage. And then to me, Allen, you know, he obviously wants him to continue vertical. And Desai, he earns that miscommunication the same way that the Chiefs yeah. earned that miscommunications interception against A.J. Brown. And then thinking like just option routes or choice routes in general, specifically of the deeper variety, like in college, if you're thinking just two receivers to a side, when you tag that outside receiver, then the inside receiver usually occupies the safety. And the outside receiver's coaching point is, if you can touch the, cor- the cornerback, go run by him. So if Davis is just reading the cornerback leverage. Maybe Allen's thinking that. But then on the opposite side or on the inside, if the inside receiver is running the choice route, you're going to have your outside receiver occupy that cornerback and the inside receiver is going to really just work away from the safety. And in that situation, when the Eagles are in zero, there is no safety. So maybe it's that, you know, the on the Bills play sheet or when they're talking through it's, hey, if we get zero, there's no safety in the middle of the field. Go ahead and kill that cornerback. Just take it straight. So the Eagles were on top of all of their stuff when they had a cover zero check on that game ending touchdown and the Bills weren't. So I don't know. In my head, I feel like I give Davis a little bit uh, of leeway there where he is running away from the cornerback. I think the the general feeling is, you know, it's usually OK for the cornerback. And then there's a bunch of kind of not funny, but like clips on the sideline of Davis talking through it with James Cook and then with Steph Diggs. So I don't know, you know, who's, whose fault is it? And I like that right. everyone says, you know, it's it's both of our fault, but it may just been that, you know, they haven't repped that against cover zero enough or they weren't fully clear on, you know, when you get this coverage, this happens. And, you know, that leads to a ball on the ground and an Eagles win. 
Yeah, this is why, you know, this is different than like to me, Marcus Valdez-Scantling just dropping a touchdown in the end zone. You know, this is you did something to force them to be buttoned up and make and make decisions in, you know, in, in the snap of your fingers that both the quarterback and the wide receiver are on the same page. Like this is why, you know. You mix it up on defense. This is why sometimes you choose to take on some risk because there is reward. Guess what? If you sit back and just play, well, let's play quarters and two D. Guess what? The Bills probably would have scored a touchdown on that drive and the game would have been over. So you have to take some risks. And you took a risk in a big spot. They weren't buttoned up. They didn't execute it properly. It gave your offense the ball back and you scored. So yeah, I think that's a key point to make that this is different than like sometimes you get lucky. And in this game, they got, I mean, James Cook dropped a touchdown in the first quarter in this game. Like that is you getting lucky. You know, if you play that out 10 times, absolutely seven or eight times, James Cook is going to make that catch and that's going to be a touchdown. And we're going to be coming on here, ripping Nicholas Morrow for getting toasted on that or ripping Sean Desai for getting Nicholas Morrow matched up with James Cook. That's fair. This is different. This is you did something that helped force um, the mistake there in execution. So I thought that was worth pointing out. All right. Uh, last things on the defense, uh, Jordan Davis. I thought this was a really like gutted out performance from Jordan Davis. I mean, end of regulation, he was gassed. Overtime comes around. I think Josh Tolentino from the Inquirer uh, tweeted out that like Fletcher Cox was having like an impassioned speech with Jordan Davis on the sideline. Davis comes out that first possession in overtime. I mean, he's wrecking that drive. He must have wrecked three runs and chased down Josh Allen on the sideline. Like that was, you know, that might have been his best moment, in my opinion, as an Eagle so far. What I saw from him when Fletcher Cox is out, when Milton Williams is not in the game, like you needed him in that spot and he came through. So that was an awesome job by him. Kevin Byard, we'll talk about with this Niners matchup. They're trusting him to match up with tight ends, Sean. I mean, he was, uh, you know, he was matched up in this game against Dalton Kincaid one-on-one. And when they go uh, to their three-safety look, Bayard is coming down and Sidney Brown and Reed Blankenship are in the deep, uh, deep part of the field. So that's something to keep an eye on as we now turn the page to this weekend. 425? I think it's 425. San Francisco 49ers coming to town. NFC Championship uh, NFC Championship game rematch. Been building up all offseason with the 49. We didn't get a fair shot. That was Garbanzo Beans. We would have beat them. We were clearly the better team. And the Eagles just saying, what is going on here? We, you know, we we didn't complain this much when we lost to the Chiefs uh in the Super Bowl. It happens sometimes. Niners coming back this season. First in offensive DVOA, first in passing third in rushing by far. And I think this is, is worth pointing out by far the best offense they've had under Kyle Shanahan. I mean, if you look at the numbers, this offense compared to the Jimmy G offenses, this one is way better than those. And those were offenses that were good enough to get to the Super Bowl. They're first in EPA per drive. They're first in success rate. They're averaging over 28 points per game. You, Sean, have written in depth about this everybody i hear this question on like every you know general shanahan 49ers podcast it's all right yeah what's the secret what makes a shanahan offense a shanahan offense why is he so good what does he do that other people don't do so uh i'm asking that to you 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 know you probably could give us like a three-hour version i don't want you to do that even though you know i love keeping you longer than i tell you i'm gonna keep you give us the short like you know let's say 
I don't know. You have who? I don't know. Do you have a favorite? Let's say Bradley. Let's say you run into Bradley Cooper down there in, uh, you know, in um, in Texas, and he said, "Oh my God, I love the Ringers Philly special, but you know, we got the Niners this week. I I gotta run here in a minute." But like Shanahan, like what makes that offense so good? What do you what do you tell well, a Bradley Cooper? We assume Bradley Cooper knows. You know, he can talk some X's and O's. He he knows what he's doing. I know Cliff was fired up about that clip uh, about Bradley Cooper on on Howard Stern uh, this week that was circulating. But what do you tell Bradley Cooper in that spot? Yeah, sure. I'm glad you mentioned Bradley Cooper. That's a great example. It feels like I have five hours because, as you said on that clip, he says he'd rather the Eagles win a Super Bowl than win an Oscar. So, I mean, you guys may have to settle in for this. But yeah, if if you want to fast forward this part, you know, I linked the uh, the pin tweet of what I wrote about Shanahan and you know, the offense owes a lot to his father, Mike Shanahan and Alex Gibbs. But to me, the hallmarks start in the run game with formation and motion versatility alongside their core outside zone run counters that look so similar. And then in the past game, talk about a few things that make a quarterback's life easier. And outside zone is a base day one install for the 49ers. It's that bottom level of the pyramid They're great at it because they have so many reps of those blocking combinations. And then within one type of play, they have so many different calls and small adjustable pieces to respond really precisely to whatever the defensive front is, whatever the safety rotation is, and really however the defense likes to play or whatever players on the defense are good or maybe not as good in certain situations, all while keeping that same technique for the offensive line and continue those reps. And they're one of the very few teams that major in 21 personnel. So two running backs, one tight end, and that forces particular defenses on the field because no one wants to watch the 49ers just run on them all day. So they can usually get specific looks. They can manipulate it with that motion, use shifts to change the run strength. And, you know, you can be a linebacker that has the area between the guard and tackle and then the tight end shifts. There's another motion and now you have like the edge or something that, is able to change your responsibility so quickly. But then off outside zone, they have so many counters, whether it's the way they run their gap scheme runs, a lot of times up front for most of those positions, it looks the same as outside zone. So that makes it a little bit harder for the defense. And then you get into their shot plays that look a lot like the run plays, their play action plays that attack the middle of the field better than anyone else in the league. And then you have screen sprinkled in. Now we can finally get to the pass game. Their passing concepts are usually those pure progression concepts that allow the quarterback to work their vision across the field from one to two to three to four to check down. And then the way the routes are structured usually have people that are staying on the move and work into the quarterback's vision while running away from defenders. So it's like, it just allows it to be a little bit more natural for the quarterback, knowing the receivers are going to get into the right spots instead of being as adjustable, I think, as some other teams, you won't see the deep choice routes, for example, that the Bills ran on that last play. And just another small thing, I'll, I'll try, as Bradley Cooper, I know that you're listening, I'll try and wrap it up for you. They some, do something cool to me where they kind of are like set it and forget it on the offensive line side for protection. So you're not going to see Brock Purdy go up and change the protection that often. Usually when he's doing that, he's changing the play itself. And offensive line protection is hard for everyone and for any quarterback between IDing the mic, understand where the blitz is, do all this study, and defensive coordinators are good at stressing you as well so they'll set their protection kind of forget about it their hot routes are they're built into the offense and it allows the quarterback to play faster and i think kyle shannon is the best play caller in the league and play callers tend to express themselves a bit through the offenses and how they call the plays to me you know kyle shannon expresses the desire to really control every single element that they can i think in the eagles offense hurts is the fulcrum and gets a lot of freedom for the 49ers that really stems from shanahan 
and goes there. So that's Bradley Cooper again. I know you're listening. I do hope you win an Oscar for Maestro this year. We'll talk about that another time. But uh, that's kind of what I think of uh, as a hallmarks for the Shanahan system. Okay, he, he he just had to go. Jeffrey Lurie was calling him, uh, you know, seeing, making sure he's coming up uh, on the PJ, sitting in the box next to him um, this weekend. You know, Fox wanted to make sure that they were going to have those, those crowd shots, which they love, of Bradley Cooper in the box. So he he appreciated the explanation, but yeah, he does uh, have to go here. All right, that was that was great. No, that was a great explanation. I mean, uh, outside zone, but not just outside zone. They they used gap runs. It's probably evolved uh, over the years, marrying the run to the past, where from a defensive player's perspective it's we don't know what it is is it a run or is it a bootleg we don't know uh what it is i thought the protection thing was very was very interesting because uh that's one where you know i think i've talked about this before where sometimes in the football conversations someone will say something and i'm just like well why doesn't everybody do that you know like that may, would make sense to me to just be like because shanahan does want a robot i've said this for years if he could just have a robot not a human being playing quarterback who would just he could preset him and say when the defense does this you do that like that is what he wants even see it with purdy because purdy will make these non-robot plays where he'll be like oh, I, I know how it's on the chalkboard but i'm aggressive i want to throw it downfield and shanahan in his press conferences afterwards will be like yeah i did it <laughs> to make that pass or uh, he, I, I forget he had the one interception where he called like the worst. Oh no, he had the one touchdown, I think, but it was a decision that he didn't. Shanahan called it like the worst decision Purdy has made since he became the starter. A play that resulted in a touchdown. I mean, that just takes you inside the bind of this guy. He's he is a control freak. There's no doubt about it. But the protection thing, so when I would say, well, why doesn't every team do that? You know, it takes something off the quarterback's plate. They don't have to worry about uh, adjusting things. I guess the answer would be, well, not, you know every offensive scheme has those built-in answers where, hey, if the protection isn't buttoned up where you want it, you don't have an option uh, with where to go to the football. Is that how you would kind of respond to that? Well, if you're designing an offense, you should have like hots built in where it's like, okay, if there's one too many rushers, the route is able to replace it. So it's not that I think that other offenses don't have that, but it's that like every single part of the offense is kind of all encompassing and they're constant not checking the protection whether it gives you a lot of less flexibility at the line so that can be a problem where defenses maybe can feel like okay they're predictably in this protection we can do certain things to beat it so i'm not sure if it is necessarily like in and of itself just oh this is really good this is really bad i would say as a young quarterback i think cj stroud really benefits in houston from i mean i think he could do the protections i'm not saying he couldn't I do think he benefits from being able to play really, really fast. So I think it's it's part of, as you said, which I mean, I think if you ask Kyle Shannon, I think I feel like he has said it that, yeah, he really, really wants to have control. And so he can control every single part of it. And then because they ha- they don't have as many of those, they do have the choice route, obviously, which is that kind of four to six range, but they don't have those like when you look at their whatever their play calls or their uh kind of like route combinations not a lot of them are super like okay they're dependent on leverage or things like that there are examples like that but again it's people kind of working across the field in different ways so to me like could everyone do it i think you could but you have to have all those pieces in place and then understand now you don't have as much flexibility at the line and the defense can also take advantage of that so less flexibility, less freedom, more based on kind of precision, uh, having answers being where uh, you're supposed to be this often. So uh, Brock, listen, Brock Purdy this year, like the numbers are wild. I mean, if I just, you know, put them, did not put the face to the name and just threw these numbers out uh, on Twitter, people, people would be going crazy. He's first in success rate. 
He's first in EPA per pass play. He's averaging nine and a half yards per attempt, which is just a wild number if you're not, you know, statistically inclined. Like, you know, 7.6 is a good number, like 9.5. Quarterbacks generally don't get to that number for a whole season. He, he is different than Jimmy G in that he pushes the ball downfield. He's more aggressive. He doesn't want the you know short check down. He, he wants to make plays. Uh, his average pass is traveling more than eight yards downfield, which I think is the most for a Shanahan quarterback since he's gotten to San Francisco. So that's Purdy. Uh, and then the personnel thing. I think this is a huge question, Sean, and let's get to it. Let's get to the, the blueprint for the Eagles defense. If, you know, Sean Desai calls you up again, you know, he says, hey, Bradley Cooper was telling me you gave him a good explanation on Shanahan's offense. I thought he gave me your number. I thought I would just follow up here. How do I defend this offense that's performing at such a high level? I think one of the key questions is, how are the Eagles countering the 21 personnel and the 22 personnel? You know, because being in base defense right now is not a great option for the Eagles. I think Jeff McLean reported Zach Cunningham is probably going to be out for this game. So now you're talking about Nicholas Morrow. Christian Ellis and who knows who else, you know, Shaq Leonard is in town visiting right now. I don't know that he's going to play uh, in this game. Can you go big dime? Is this a big Sidney Brown game where you say, let's stay three safeties. We trust him to be able to hold up uh, against the run here. Do you, is our five man fronts a good option against this, uh, you know, this offense where, you know, we've seen some of that from the Eagles in the past. Uh, what do you think? How do they respond the, those heavy personnel packages where the 49ers like to say, all right, you get, let's get some, some of your bad players, some of your bad linebackers on the field. Then we're going to target the middle of the field. We're going to target them in the passing game and we're going to move the ball downfield that way. What's the Eagles answer to that? Yeah, I think it's a, you come out in base. I think you kind of have to. And sometimes you have to live with the 49ers have the flexibility to get into 21 personnel where they will line up in like a tight eye form and run it down your throat, but then they can spread out and empty because not only are there like, flexibility personnel wise but their individual players Debo Samuel can run the ball Christian McCaffrey is a really good route runner so I mean look I think this team is the best team in the league I think their offense is the best offense in the league I think that their skill position groups is the best skill position group in the league I will say I don't think they have the best quarterback in the league I don't think they have the best offensive line in the league so to me those are the places that you're able to beat them I Jordan Davis Jalen Carter you both just played so many snaps and had an absolutely incredible game here gift wrapped for you is like another just massive game where there is going to be so much on their plate because poor christian ellis like i'm really excited to see what we get from him or what we what the eagles get from him he is going to have a really long day and it's not going to be his fault cal shanahan is incredible at attacking the linebacker spot now that might be i think you bring up a good point you get those those big dime looks in different ways you know figure out a way to get a linebacker off the field, but it was similar to kind of that Bills game, but you got to be able to stop the run. And it's such a lame thing to think about, but for the 49ers, it is so, so true because Purdy will throw the ball up to you where you have the chance to come down with an interception. I last year, I will say when I was watching Purdy, there weren't that many things that like really impressed me. I think this year there have been throws where I'm like, okay, like that is a throw that almost anyone, if you were an unbiased observer, you would be impressed by the ability to get, the ball down there but again he and similar a little bit dissimilar than the dolphins where you're throwing the ball into an area and you're really banking on your receiver to break there you, the eagles are going to be in a position to make an interception it's really going to come down to i think if you're able to do that or not it's going to be just like a fun game i think to watch like how good is the eagles defensive line going to play first in the run game especially in the interior and then on those 
those ends in the pass game because I think you can get after them in the pass game as well. All right, so we think that, uh, you know, like you said, you got to stop the run. You got to put them in, in tough situations. Uh, what about from a coverage standpoint? Is there something you look at and say, all right, against the Shanahan-type uh, offense doing X is a smart idea? Because I was looking at the numbers, Sean, and there's not like nothing stands out. I mean, uh, Purdy is second in success rate first man. He's first against zone. He's first against single high and against two high zone. He's second against the blitz. He's first against four rushers or fewer. I, like, I'm not trying to sell you as, you know, Brock Purdy is the greatest quarterback in the history of the NFL. I'm just telling you the efficiency numbers for the offense against different looks this season. And normally when I do this exercise, you can pick out something that, hey, you know, they struggle a little bit against X. That just hasn't been the case so far for this 49ers offense. So what do you think from a coverage standpoint? Is it as simple as, hey, you can't just do one thing, do a bunch of different things? Is there something you maybe lean on uh, a little bit more? Uh, what do you think there? Yeah, Sean, I feel like I'm extra boring today where it's like, stop the run and play different things on coverage. I do think, though, it is something where you're going to have to be able to have, you know, whether it's a coverage rotation or to me, it is it is more zone coverage, especially when McCaffrey is running choice routes out of the backfield where he almost always ends up being able to break inside. You have to be able to have a safety rotating down to it where you can bracket that choice route. And it sounds weird, like we're bracketing a running back in pass coverage yes you have to you really do have to and uh purdy will not that he's blind throwing that but he's working to that and he's like pretty confident going to be able to make that throw so for me you know it's it's from that base personnel a lot of cover to you the man i think is tough because of the way that they manipulate things with motion you know can you chase debo samuel across the field i think that james bradbury absolutely thinks he can i'm sure they'll have a, a cordial conversation <laughs> about his ability to do that on the field on sunday but when they get into those play action game you know that is that is really, really hard. So it's, just, again, I just want to say it again, like this is the best offense in the league. I just don't think that there's, there's like one specific thing, but I think from a coverage perspective, your safeties, if they can play at a certain level, especially when Purdy is, you know, sometimes turning his, his back to the defense and really throwing to that spot that the Eagles did an exceptional job of stopping against the Dolphins, like that in-breaking kind of intermediate area, let's go ahead and get an interception from the safety. So base, cover two, Hope for the best. Now the now the Browns when they played the Niners, uh, I remember they played a lot of man coverage in that game, and I think that's the only game where the 49ers were like a below league average success rate. Was that just a matter of them winning uh, up front a lot with Miles Garrett and pressuring uh, Brock Purdy? Was there anything else from that game uh, we can take, or is it because Jim Schwartz was the coordinator here before? You know, I think it's a lot of hey, forget the eye candy. Just you know, it's kind of like an old school mentality. Uh, is there anything from that game that kind of stands out that the Eagles could steal here, or was that kind of just a one-off thing that you don't put too much stock into? When I watched that tape, I did think it was a little bit of a one-off just because like the way that the Browns linebackers and safeties, and I think they had like multiple safeties kind of in linebacker spots, like they were communicating or just non-verbally, obviously like they're not yelling at each other or they, some people are, but like their response to everything the 49ers did was just like so perfect. Whether it's like you have a crossing route from one side and now the linebacker to the other side is kind of running and taking it. So I know that I'm decided certainly watching that tape and seeing it. To me, it felt a little bit more like, okay, Purdy not performing at his best. And he was like, okay, on a few throws kind of at the end of the game there. I did actually think, you know, the Eagles, I know you were critical of the pass coverage in a few different ways. I thought Bradbury and Slay, like they were able to get their hands on a few balls against the Bills. 
Do I think they're, you know, as good at man coverage as the Browns were on that day? Probably not. So that that would make me a little bit nervous. And I think that the Eagles still would able to get the pass rush, maybe not at the level of a Miles Garrett, but you can play zone and get that kind of pass rush. So we're going to see man coverage. We have to see man coverage. I wonder, like, how are the Eagles going to manipulate who they kind of devote a little bit more resources to in the pass game? But that Browns performance was just like, a, oh, like, at that point, we're like, is this a generational defense? Like, how do we how do we kind of examine this? So yeah. maybe small things to take away, but I'm not sure. I mean, again, if, if you go back and watch that film, like those linebackers, the safeties were just on something else that day. I think this is an old school game. It's like it's this is like a like a sports talk radio caller type game. Hit the quarterback and feast on turnovers. All right. It sounds stupid. Chill. I, I agree. But like when you actually look at it, that is how you stop. That is how you could stop them. Like you mentioned, their offensive line is not the best offensive line. I think Eagles have an edge there, specifically the right side of that 49ers offensive line. I think the Eagles uh, can give them trouble there. And then turnovers are a real thing with Brock Purdy. I just gave you all those numbers that, all right, they're efficient everywhere. You know what the one weakness is? He's 25th in turnover worthy play rate that's charted by PFF where you kind of get, you know, low marks. If you have a, a pass that could have been intercepted that the defense drops, that kind of thing. That's 25th out of 29 quarterbacks. That aggressiveness can get him into trouble. And so this is to me, like, you know, defensively, you got to like, like take some chances. Like if you give up some plays, that's fine. You're probably going to give up some plays. you have to create that one or two high leverage play, whether it's a sack fumble, whether it's a turnover, that really gives you the advantage in this game, allows you to steal a possession. So um, that's kind of what, you know, again, it sounds like I, I usually hate this type of analysis on a pregame show. It creates some turn. No, no, I understand it's stupid. But uh, to me, like you you have that edge uh, up front. That is your biggest advantage, your pass rush against that offensive line. And you have a quarterback who's not going to play conservatively and who's coming on the road, um, you know, in your house in a big spot, in a big game. Can you rattle him? Can you shake him? Masan Reddick uh, on those boots, you know, like, can you be in his face when he, when he turns around uh, and take him down and get the ball out of there? Those are really going to be the keys to me for this Eagles defense. All right. Uh, specific matchups here, Sean, we don't have to spend too much time uh, on this, but I don't know. Is is by, you know, if they're playing a lot of zone, we think, I don't think there's a lot of, uh, you know, Ayuk, Debo, like I don't think there's a specific matchup to put a corner on either of those guys. I don't think that makes sense. They've got a couple of guys there. Is Kevin Byard the George Kittle matchup when you do play man coverage? He has been so far. I don't know who else would be against the tight end given the linebacker situation. McCaffrey against any of those linebackers, that's going to be tough for you. We mentioned it. The Bills got James Cook against Nicholas Morrow last week and he drops the touchdown, but they did manufacture uh, that matchup. And then to the Eagles' advantage, I think. I think it's Hassan Reddick. I think it's Jalen Carter um, against the right side of that 49ers offensive line. A- any others uh, that I'm missing agree or disagree with any of those things? Yeah, I'm, I, I'm just like so concerned like for any linebacker that ever has to play the 49ers. But Christian Ellison, I think he's in his second year and hasn't started like a full game. This is going to be <laughs> like so, so much on his play. I will say, I think that Desai, he's prepared for the 49ers three times last year when he was with Seattle, two times in the regular season, once in the playoffs. And we had a listener ask a question about it. I don't think there's a lot of stuff that he's able to take away from there. Uh, from those specific games, Seattle was still kind of working out different mechanics, but like Desai has prepped for this team in this manner multiple times. Obviously, I think Pretty's playing at a different, different level. So 
you know, is it you mitigate stress off your linebackers in some sort of way? I do think the cornerbacks are going to have to tackle on the edge of the defense a whole lot. I like that Kevin Byard was involved in the run game a little bit against the Bills. So just like I, I think it was the first snap last year where they open up in a little bit more of a spread out formation and they get Kittle right away on a linebacker. I think we're going to see that a lot. And, you know, if Christian Ellis can get his hand on the ball, then we're, you know, that I'll be the first one to, to buy my Jersey and praise him. But it's, it's going to be, it's going to be something else. I think yeah, having a, a linebacker like that, and then hopefully Morrow is able to be comfortable in that position as well. Yeah. I mean, Ellis and Morrow both, I, I thought had some rough reps even last week against uh, Buffalo. So we'll see. But I mean, that, that is obviously going to be an area to keep an eye on. All right. The other side of the ball, you know what? Just sometimes you just got to outscore them. Sean, I know you're a defensive guy, but sometimes you go in, so we're going to give up some points, but you know what? We're not going to waste any possessions offensively. This 49ers defense, I actually think is kind of gettable. Uh, honestly, you look at that three-game losing streak they had early in the season, and everyone was ripping Purdy at the time for the turnovers. If you looked at a lot of the underlying stuff, I thought it was their defense that was getting gashed a little bit. They did the, the popular move this year of bringing the defensive coordinator from the booth to the sideline. You know I love those little things weird narratives that we have throughout the course of an NFL season. So Steve Wilkes is now on the sideline. They're sixth in defensive DVOA. They're fifth first to pass, but 20th against the run. Let me say that again. 20th against the run. If you're listening saying, give us some good news. Sean keeps praising the Niners. What's the good good news is that they're 20th against the run. By the way, they're 19th in success rate. Overall, they've kind of, you know, they they feasted on turnovers. They're second in EPA on takeaways. So when they're not getting those takeaways, can they hold up against an offense uh, that has performed, as I mentioned earlier, at a top five level? Yeah. So uh, what stands out to you, Sean, this defense, when you look at Steve Wilkes taking over for D'Amico Ryans this year? I think when comparing it to how it was with D'Amico, I think that you know, Ryan's was just maybe more creative in their pressures. It's still a super attacking four down front. You know, uh, Fred Warner will get involved kind of over the center. They'll, they have those super wide ends. I was interested, like they don't have a ton of blitzing just overall. And why would you blitz when you have that front four? It feels like when I watch their defense, like I sometimes check my little thing, like, am I watching this at 1.5 speed? Because they're so, so fast in closing speed and, uh, Chris Kosurik, their defensive line coach, he's like the Jeff Stoutland of the defensive line. And I mean, yeah, that's I keep a fun saying, matchup. Yeah. You, you had a good note in that. I like that. Yeah, it's like the, the two assistant coaches who just get, you know, the most out of the players they have and are just kind of like revered um, for for the their their units there. So, yeah, that that's kind of a you know, fun assistant coach on assistant coach matchup there. Yeah, and I keep on praising the 49ers, which I'm sure is going to go great for uh, all mentions for me throughout <laughs> the rest of the week. I do think they also have the be- the best front seven in football. Uh, they're very clearly like those front four. They are pass rushers through and through. So I would agree with you. They are gettable in the run game, particularly because, yeah, they usually are playing from up and they prioritize getting after the passer. So I would have like a little bit of concern when you're developing those long down the field passes of, well, am I going to be able to protect that long but it was it was fun watching the eagles tape against the niners last year because the eagles offensive line like that had nothing to do with brock Purdy, right the eagles offensive line was was really able to do a lot of good things and then no shot at the running back last year i do think that the eagles running back this year is looks a little bit better on tape so i think like overall from a defense perspective it's 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 not that it's vanilla but they're really good in so many spots that they don't need to make things super complicated. At the same time, I think, you know, their cornerbacks can be beat and they're, they're down a safety now. 
uh, as well. So, you know, they're not the same buzzsaw the offense is. It's just, it's like in a different way where their attacking four is so good. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. They're, they're zone heavy. Uh, most common coverages, cover three, quarters, cover one, and cover two. They're bottom eight in terms of blitz frequency. Do not send more than four often. This isn't like a, you know, like a Brian Flores or a Todd Bowles type defense. Like like you said, this is a lot of old school kind of lineup uh, with four down. And, you know, something like you said, they'll, they'll move Fred Warner uh, in there. But a lot of times they're rushing with four. Now, those four are going to be Chase Young, who is now playing the Eagles for the third time uh, this season, who, you know, has notched some W's against Jordan Mailata on film. There's no doubt about it earlier this year. So that's a key matchup. Javon Hargrave who we know is a terrific player from his time in Philadelphia. Great pass rusher. I will say if Hargrave has a weak, you know, I shouldn't say if he has a weakness, he can be had in the run game. He can be moved a little bit uh, in the run game. And part of that is the mentality, the attacking style they play with. But, uh, you know, he is not great against the run. Uh, They have Armstead, Eric Armstead, certainly as an interior pass rusher. And then on the other side, of course, Nick Bosa against you're hoping Lane Johnson is back uh, in this game. I, I think early signs indicate that he has a good chance to be, although we're recording this on Wednesday. So, uh, yeah, it's a tough front, no doubt about it. They're the best team in the NFL covering the middle of the field. If you look at DVOA, and like 54 is the is the reason in a lot of ways for that. He's just the, the best linebacker uh, in the NFL. So um, that's going to be tough. But, I, yeah, I think there are very specific areas where you can attack them here. I mean, um, corner, Charverius Ward is a very good corner. It doesn't mean, he, you know, I don't think he's like uh, at an elite all-pro level. He's under that good player, but not someone you shy away with, with A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. And then their other corner spot is kind of a, uh, you know, a question mark where uh, – I think Ambry Thomas uh, is the guy who's been moving out there when they're in nickel and Lenore bumps inside to the slot. So I think you can attack them on the outside. Now, I will say they've given up the fewest plays of 20 plus yards in the NFL this season. So they do a very good job of making you be methodical here. But that's one area. And then the other area we mentioned, you know, uh, again, I'm going old school. I'm going WIP caller uh, here. Run the ball. This is a game to run the football uh, against these guys. You should have an edge there um, with your offensive line against this defensive line. Get Jalen Hurts' legs involved in this game. I'm with you. Uh, Swift versus Miles Sanders. Swift has been an upgrade. We talked about it earlier. Get to a diverse run scheme. Uh, break out some wrinkles in this game. All those things and try to uh, attack their weakness there. All right, what else did we miss in terms of how you attack this 49ers defense or matchups that you have an eye on? I think just looking at other teams that they've played, I thought the Bengals' offensive plan could be instructive where it was a game where Burrow, his average depth of target was pretty low. He wasn't just throwing the ball down the field constantly, but you can RPO the 49ers. So I like that the Eagles are an RPO team, specifically in the second half of that Bills game, looked really good. And like you said, you can run on them. You can spread them out. These Eagles can run on the 49ers. It's not that every offensive line can just bully the 49ers, but the 49ers are relatively predictable up front they want to get up the field so even the Eagles used different runs last year where you know you have that they would have the tackle trap the one of the interior defensive linemen I'm sure they'll have the guard trap in different ways where you're using the defensive lines aggressiveness against them and I think that they're a team where if you're the Eagles you get AJ Brown in space or even Devontae Smith in space on some of those like just advantage throws on or attached to RPOs you can get yards after the catch I thought the Bengals did a good job moving Jamar Chase into different places because the 49ers are not 
you know, for all pros in the secondary. So that is also an advantage. And if, like last week when we talk about the Bills, we're like, oh, you can, you're probably having an advantage in the pass game. You probably have an advantage in the run game. And the 49ers defense is, of course, better than the Bills defense, particularly up front. It feels like they could do both of those things. But again, my, I don't know, I just like have this concern on the, in the drop back pass game in this particular matchup where I love the Eagles offensive line, They're the best offensive line in the league. I keep talking about best in the league today. But there are times, yeah, like you said, that Chase Young was able to beat Mylotta when back when uh, Chase Young was in Washington, getting a third matchup is is real, real fun uh, <laughs> for us to be able to watch. So, you know, coming off that left side on some of those d- attacking down the field plays, I don't love, I don't feel great, but let's keep running behind that left side, get those different plays where Mylotta can hopefully just mash Chase Young in different ways instead of having to pass protect as much. It's going to be fun. I mean, what, what, when do you have a 10 and one team as home underdogs? I mean, that place is going to be uh, fired up. Again, I said it. I think this game has maybe has the most juice of any game on the schedule this season. I can't wait to watch it. Uh, as of this recording, we don't know about Shaq Leonard. I know people are probably uh, wondering about that. I will just say, uh, listen, I, I listened to an interview with uh, James Boyd, who does a good job covering the Colts with Zach Kiefer, who is also um, Indianapolis based on the athletic football show. And, you know, James Boyd was just pointing out like Leonard is not, you know, not there for a reason. You know, they they have had uh, he, he has not looked like the same player he has been. The injuries have really taken a toll on him. He's lost that speed. He's lost that explosiveness. So is he an upgrade on what you have right now? Very well could be. I would just say, you know, uh, temper expectations uh, a little bit. I feel like it'd be worth taking a flyer on because you're not in a great spot at linebacker. Uh, but we will see. We'll also see if Dallas Goddard is back for this game. You know, we didn't mention Goddard a lot here just because we don't know if he's going to be back or not. I, I think, it, you know, it sounds like there's a chance he could be back. So that would obviously be huge for this Eagles offense to have another weapon here who they can go to. All right. Those are most. Uh, oh, the last thing I wanted to mention, we're getting a lot of tweets about this. So, I mean, listen, company man, Spotify, this rap thing. I mean, my wife was saying it's like the, it's like a holiday. This is the best day of the year, the Spotify rap day, where they tell you what are all the stuff, what are all the things you listen to uh, this year. And Cliff, I mean, we've been getting tweet after tweet of people in like the top 1%, the top 3%, the top 5%. They're tagging Sean. They're tagging Solak. They're tagging me and you. Thanks for how many hours of content that we (laughs) put out there. But I listen, I love, uh, you know, you you massage my ego a little bit. (laughs) You know, you leave a little review. Of course, I'm going to love that. So keep those coming. Uh, If you have them on Instagram, tag me. I'll share them there. And everyone who's tweeted those at us, uh, I I honestly uh, love to see them so keep those coming right cliff for sure keep them coming shout out to uh byronic hero uh he's in the top five percent in our spotify rap you know we're, we're company men here show so you know we got a show to yeah. the company everybody send us the reps like she'll said also shout out to eli underscore soto 518 keep us in the rap baby where she'll you know we're approaching like episode 200 right like we're, we're right? getting no it. i Honestly, you could have asked me how many episodes we've done, and I would have had no idea. I literally yeah, we, have no we gained, idea. We gained close 200? to two hundred. Okay, yeah, and that's All with right. Phillies. That's what that's what Eagles with Solak with Sean here with EJ with, okay. with you know all the other special guests that we've had Ray Didinger, everybody man. Shout out to the whole city for just showing us an incredible amount of love and hopping on train with us. So you know, I mean, we wouldn't be anything without the fans. So shout out to everybody that just listened to the pod, shows us love on the pod. I was actually at the link 
on Sunday and so many people came up to me just asking me specific questions about the pod and how much they love the pod and, you know, how great of a job you, know, you, you guys do and all the guests do. So, I mean, just shout out to Philly, man, for showing us some real love, you know? There, there you go. I'm going to give some shout outs to the, because, you know, like I said, a little uh, massage the ego, Long Billy Wimbers. <laughs> oh, no, wait, sorry. That's the Ringer NFL show. Still, thank you, Long Billy. <laughs> We're listening to the Ringer NFL show. Not really special. All right, let me hear. I, I, know, I know I had some saved here. Let me see. All right, here we go. Larry Hopkins. Number two, beyond the great Ringer Fantasy Football Show. All right, if we're not going to be one, at least make it another Ringer pod. Those guys do uh, a great job. So thank you very much, uh, Larry Jason, giving the shout out. He's saying uh, shout out to the Philly Special guys and the newest edition, Syed Schemes. Get of course. Syed Schemes. Sean he, killing he has too, listened, man. He has listened, Cliff, Jason, for 5,200 minutes. He's a top 2% fan. It boggles my mind. Oh my gosh. Thank you, Jason. Appreciate that. 5,000. I'm like, we've been talking for that many minutes. Uh, Alex, top 1% fan. He beats 5,606 minutes. Alex has listened to. He said, some of y'all never listened to wild preseason takes, uh, you know, and, and, and chill. So yeah, he, he's been with us uh, from Vermont for a long time. Appreciate that for sure. I'm trying to see Jason. Uh, no, Jason, we already shot. I'm struggling here, as you can tell, when I have to go <laughs> off the cuff. Uh, Philly, struggle. Can I shout out to um, Chris and Raheem too? They've, they're obviously yeah, a big part of spot. Obviously, they're going to be coming up here a lot more as the Sixers season starts. Uh, well, gets rolling more um, as the Sixers season starts. Yeah. So shout out to Chris and Raheem too, man. Those are two guys we love to work with. We can't wait till the Sixers season ramps up and we can have them on more often. We know Raheem is a Cowboys fan, so you know he can't really be talking no birds. Yeah, so you don't want him now. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not allowed to do that. <laughs> Okay. Uh, Philly JGS is another one. 3,732 minutes. Top 5% fan. Says he enjoyed all. They couldn't have enjoyed all 3,700. I'm, I'm sure there was something I said that was very annoying uh, during that time. All right. You gave this guy a shout out uh, already. Eli, 3,725 minutes. Top 5% fan. Drew. 3,199 minutes, top 8% fan. All right, I think I got most of them. Listen, again, tag me uh, on Instagram. I'll share those there. If, if you can beat now, who's the, the winner was 5,000. Actually, we should crown a winner, Cliff, <laughs> we do. for this. I want to say the, the best, the, the highest so far was 5,600, I want to say, right? Five, that's five. Yeah, so the winner right now is Alex, okay? Alex is the one from Vermont. And it gives a shout out for me introducing him to Mountain Joy. So there you go. Thank you, Mountain Joy. He is a top 1% fan. If you could beat 5,606 minutes, you know what? Whoever whoever sends us the one that listened to the most, I'm finding something to give to you. I don't know. We don't have sure. we're working on the Philly special merch. I don't have it yet. I will find some type of prize to whoever can beat that. So let's set the deadline between now and when Sean and I return next week to talk about Eagles Niners film and uh preview that Cowboys game. Between now and then, that is your deadline. Uh send me uh all and I'm gonna put it in the bio too. I'm going to put it in the bio, too. I'm going to put the uh, the at name in the bio and the information. You so go. you got to add Sean. You got to add Shield. You got to add me. You got to add Solak. And whoever's the top listener, we're going to shout you out. We're going to get you something yeah. nice. I mean, listen, you can just you can just do me and Sean's like, don't be messing with my mentions. I, mean, I appreciate the nice words, but I don't need to be hearing from all these people. Uh, so, all right. That's the number to beat. Okay. Let's finish it with this. My prediction for Eagles. 
49ers. I know Sean said he's picking the Niners in this game. Uh, I'm just not going to overthink it here, Sean. You know, they're 24-2, and two, and Jalen Hurts' his last 26 regular season starts. Uh, last week, I thought, you know, I was really feeling the bills in that game. I'm sitting here in my chair in the first half going, Shield, all right, you had the right feeling on this, and then what happens at the end of the game? The Eagles still win. So uh, I like the Eagles in this spot. I think we're going to get a classic. I think it's going to be back and forth. Both teams moving the football. I think the Niners are going to be up 23-21. Eagles get the ball again with, let's say, 146 left. Jalen Hurts puts together one more game-winning drive. Jake Elliott from 46 yards out at Lincoln Financial Field kicks the game winning field goal. Eagles win 24 to 23 in a classic. So there you go. I mean, I couldn't listen. You already said you're picking the Niners. There's no chance I could have picked the Niners. I'm, we're giving shout outs to all the fans. I mean, the negative reviews would have come in. So we got to even it out uh, a little bit here. All right, Sean, anything to finish on? What do you got? Uh, you know, everyone just like rest up. I want to be able to hear the link through the screen. I obviously drink responsibly. Responsibly, if Cliff is there, make sure you say say what's up. Uh, take care of him. I love. Oh, I thought you were that- telling Cliff to drink responsibly. You know, oh, you no. probably do that. Well, Cliff knows to drink. Responsibly. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm gonna be chilling. Actually, yo, actually, can I give a shout out to the Green Legion too? They invited me to their um party, their uh, pregame party at the X Men Live. So I think I'm gonna pull yeah. up there on Sunday. So if you over at X Men Live Sunday before the game, I'm gonna probably beat her. So. Yep. Say what's there up. There you go. There you go. Say yeah, I, I love everyone that's tagged me in the Spotify rap thing. It's it's funny because it's like you're joining the group project when like like every single part of it has been done. Like it is it is about to be December, and for me to be a small part of it, it, it feels great. Uh, Cliff, you you know you guys are the best, and Philly fans like I can't wait. I know like Daniels does a great job talking about how the Eagles are better than the Niners uh, on Twitter, so I'm I'm sure that he's going to be <laughs> thrilled to listen to this episode. But look, I I I want nothing more than the Eagles to win. Uh, 49 nothing you know just follow at side schemes i'm sure next week will be a good one uh between how much we cut up like there's gonna be i think a lot of a lot of fun stuff for this one so uh and obviously in closing go birds because despite my my uh my thoughts on the league in general <laughs> we're rooting for the eagles oh go birds all right there you go yeah i mean listen i might have to break sean in for like eight hours next week he thinks these pods are long we're gonna have a 49ers eagles film review to do and then look ahead to eagles cowboys listen i picked the eagles to win the Eagles lose this game. Just think about how big that Cowboys game is next week. So there you go. All right, Cliff wants to finish it off. What do you got, Cliff? First of all, we got a shout out to Deshaun Jackson, who was uh, unceremoniously released from the Eagles due to Chip Kelly. You know, we remember that guy. But D-Jack officially retired after 15 years in the league. So, Shil, what I was going to do was I was going to play the Miracle of Meadowlands uh, part two, but uh, don't have the rights to that audio. So, you know, we just relive the moment. Hop on YouTube. Go in there. Play it back. Remember what DJ did, did the turnaround to the end zone in and, and, and a walk-off fashion, and Tom Coughlin walks up to uh, – what's my guy's name, Matt? Is it Matt Painter? The punter? Oh, Matt uh, – Matt Dodge? Uh, is that, oh, my God. I don't remember his name. Matt. <laughs> I don't know. Well, it was Matt I'm old. You don't have an excuse. Yeah. It was Matt right. something. Coughlin walked up to him directly on the field after the game because he punted <laughs> to Deshaun Jackson at the time, one of the most dangerous punt returners in the league. So shout out to DJ, man. A lot of memories with the Eagles. That was like one of my favorite dudes growing up. So it's crazy to see that he's retiring now. But shout out to DJ, man. 
There you go. Yeah, my coverage to Sean Jackson was very fun to cover. Uh, great player. One of the, you know, I don't want to say Tyreek Hill before Tyreek Hill because Tyreek Hill is a different type of player. But man, just that guy who you had to game plan for every week could just catch a 50-yard touchdown on your head every week. He was awesome to watch, no doubt about it. All right. Thank you to Sean. Thank you to Cliff. Everybody, enjoy the game this weekend. Again, thank you for all the shout outs. Uh, thank you to everyone for listening. And we will talk to you Sunday night. I'll be back with Benny Souls breaking down Eagles 49ers. Until then, have a great week. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXTSTEP to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.